Good evening, everyone. This is Josh and Connie for another RiseCast podcast. Uh, we are bringing to you episode 13, uh, Does Evangelism Still Work? Uh, this is Josh Dobson and uh, my lovely wife sitting across from me, Connie. Hello. And uh, we come to you uh, on the, can I say, second eve of the Great American Eclipse, since it was already dark today. Sure. You could say that. Yes. It, it, the second eve, which uh, was was quite an event today. Uh, we traveled, what, maybe about a half hour north so that we could get into the zone of totality. Yes. And uh, it did not disappoint. It didn't. It was very cool. Uh, we actually traveled to one of our sister churches, the Cleveland Seventh-day Adventist Church, which uh, I would have thought that they would have had some sort of uh, an event. But uh, we were the only ones there. So uh, we kind of we set up camp, set up a little tent uh, so the kids wouldn't uh, squash themselves. Um, it's a cute little church. It is. It's a cute little church uh, out in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. But um, Which was yeah. helpful for us. It was helpful <laughs> for us. Um, so we set up shop, um, had, uh, had a couple of cameras out there, uh, which really we brought out there for a period of about a minute or two. Um, I set up a GoPro. We got uh, footage for a half hour before and after uh, the eclipse. So uh, we'll share that uh, kind of a time lapse video on our uh, Project Rise Facebook page. Um, you know, I've been kind of given some thought, and um, you know, the last time we talked sports on our podcast, uh, everyone seemed to tank. Yeah. Um, the Braves were kind of relatively. You know, in the race, um, the they kind of they kind of tanked. The Brewers were ten games up mm-hmm. and are now trailing the division. So I think we're just going to cut that segment out for now. For now, except the Atlanta United, they had their their open house in the new stadium. Yes, Mercedes Benz Stadium looks amazing. It does. Looks awesome. And the impressive thing is that uh, obviously the Falcons and the Atlanta United are the, the two main teams there. And um, they basically paint. It's an artificial surface. It's that fake grass stuff. And they can paint it, wash the field, and then paint it to a soccer one or go vice versa in a matter of, of hours. It's it's actually pretty impressive. It's very cool. But... Um, I apologize for my voice, by the way. Yes, Connie um, was kind of under the weather earlier this week. Um, As some of you saw on our Facebook page, um, yes, it was back to school time, and the kids have brought home viruses and bugs again. Boo. Yeah, it's it's not one of our favorite things, but um, nonetheless, the show must go on. I'm still breathing, so. Yes. As my brother would say, I'm still vertical, so. It's all good. Yes, we're still above ground. Mm-hmm. Well, um, let's just dive right into this. Let's go. Uh, I have a little reading that I found 
maybe about a month ago that I, I kind of slated that I wanted to read on the show. And um, this well, reminds me of the one that we read at camp meeting the one year. Yes. Reverse your thinking. Yes. So I'm, I'm just going to take a crack at this. So okay. I have no music. This is completely raw. So oh, man, you're doing this acapella style. A- acapella. Yes. Today was the absolute worst day ever. And don't try to convince me that there's something good in every day. Because when you take a closer look, even if the world is a pretty, or this world is a pretty evil place, even if some goodness does shine through once in a while, satisfaction and happiness don't last. And it's not true that it's all in the mind and heart, because true happiness can be obtained only if one's surroundings are good. It's not true that good exists. I'm sure that you can agree that the reality creates my attitude. It's all beyond my control. And you'll never in a million years hear me say that today was a good day. Now, that's a that's a pretty dismal view on the world. Yeah. You sound like a real Debbie Downer there, Josh. Yeah. It, it is a pretty Debbie Downer. But... Mm-hmm. When you reverse your thinking and read it backwards, here's how it reads. Today was a good day, and you'll never in a million years hear me say that it's all beyond my control. My attitude creates the reality. I'm sure you can agree that it's not true that good exists only if one's surroundings are good. True happiness can be obtained because it's all in the mind and heart. And it's not true that satisfaction and happiness don't last. Some goodness does shine through once in a while, even if the world is a pretty evil place. Because when you take a deeper look, there's something good in every day. And don't try to convince me that today it was the absolute worst day ever. So when you take time to reflect on something on a really bad day and just kind of trace back your steps, Things could be a whole lot worse. Mm-hmm. But just because you feel like the day is the worst day ever doesn't mean it has to be. It's all your state of mind. It's true. Well, that's my my little tidbit for... That was deep, Josh. That was, that was deep. Deep that's, thoughts that's, by Josh Dobson. Exactly. Um, I liked it. You'll have to post that to our... Facebook page. Yes. Mm-hmm. I have no idea who wrote it. So whoever wrote that, I apologize for not citing you as a source. Author unknown. Author unknown. Got it. Someone typed it out and took a picture of it. And then it was it was on a web page I found it, I believe. I don't know. If you rem- wrote that, we want to give you credit. Yeah, so, so we yeah. want to give you credit. So speak up. Project Risecast at gmail.com. <laughs> okay. Um, the Does Evangelism Still Work? Um, this comes from Ministry Magazine on August 12th. Uh, Dr. Alan Parker, who is a, a lecturer um, up at Southern Adventist University, uh, authored this um, basically on a study covering a seven-year period from 2009 
through 2016. Yes, he is the he's the director of the Pearson Institute of Evangelism and World Missions and director of the SALT program in Collegedale, Tennessee. So, Dr. Alan Parker. Um, Many hats. He does. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how, how things are these days. You have to wear many hats. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to go down down through his article here. Uh, it was very, very interesting, um, some of the, the findings that they had. So um, the heart of the Seventh-day Adventist mission is evangelism. The church was, quote, organized for service, and its missions is to carry out the gospel to the world, end quote. But we do not often understand what works and what does not. For an organization that spends tens of millions of dollars on evangelism every year, we know surprisingly little about what might be effective. As a result, we tend to rely on anecdotal stories and gut feelings rather than hard data. Uh, Fortunately, new research is helping us find answers. Um, I can relate to that because... That's kind of the, when you talk about evangelism in any church, it's, well, we're going to do this because this is the way that we've always done it. And, uh, well, I remember hearing that uh, such and such a church did uh, this tactic, so I think that we should do that too. Without any any hard data, it's mm-hmm. it's like they said, that anecdotal um, old school mentality. Mm-hmm. Um you know, we have so many more uh, ways of getting information out to people, specifically social media, um, you know, even radio ads have, have become quite popular again. Mm-hmm. That, um, you know, the the old handbill is not always the most effective means. Well, I'll, I can give a great example of um, as a working mom now during the day, during my work day, if I'm able to, I like to, I can't always, cause I, my day gets really busy once I leave work, I'm busy with the kids. So during the day while I'm at work is when I go and I, I look for on Spotify, um, someone reading the Bible or I'll look on YouTube for lectures or sermons. Um, and so that's how I fill my day is I'll go on there. So if we as Adventists could, that's why I love the podcast, is because people can listen to it at their leisure, whenever it works for them. A lot of people like to listen to things while they're working so that their work doesn't become so mundane or they can multitask, um, or maybe they just need to listen to something uplifting while they're at work. So podcasting is a great way for us to get the gospel out. Yeah, a digital media for for sure. I mean, as, as you said, it, you know, you you give it to them, and then they can take it whenever they want it. Right. Um, you know, we have this this assumption that people want to come out to a three four week seminar. And let's be honest, especially if you have small kids, but even it doesn't even matter if you have kids. To have someone come out night after night after night at seven p.m. You know, it it takes a commitment. Yes a large commitment by not only the people that are uh, putting on the seminar, but those that are attending. Right. Now, I'm not against 
those no, 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 prophecy no. seminars. That that's what brought me into the church. I'm 36 years old, and 11 years ago, I was 25 years old when I was brought into the Adventist Church through one of those quote unquote old school prophecy seminars. They are still relevant. Okay, don't think that they're not. It's just um, it's not necessarily. You have to look at what your community's needs are. Okay, so if you Let's say you have a community like Gainesville is a perfect example. A big part of our community is Hispanic. Okay. So if we're to do a prophecy seminar, something we need to think about is do we have to have interpreters that can also speak Spanish, that can also give the gospel to them or the message that we have in their language so that they can understand it. Another part of it is in Gainesville, we have commuters. Okay. They don't live in Gainesville. They live in outside areas, but they come to work in Gainesville. So one of the things that we need to remember is maybe they're not willing to stay because they've got to go back to Flowery Branch or Buford or over in the Chesity area. Maybe they have to drive to home after work. They work in Gainesville, but they leave. And by the time they come back, they would miss the prophecy seminar. So those are just some some ideas that I'm trying to throw out there. You know, our church is a great example because even our own members don't live near the church. So having a prophecy seminar, as much as I want to have them more often, it becomes a challenge. And so we just have to find ways to, how can we get people to commit? How can we work around people's schedules and and make it so that they would want to still come? Absolutely. So, you know, whether that's you have your, your live seminar every night and then you offer a recording and, and that goes along to, to the lines, you either can come at the night of and get your food per se right away or pop it in the microwave the next day on a, a podcast or off the internet right um sorry yeah we're, we're, we kind of went off on a little tangent here no 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 i just I, i'm apologizing because of my <laughs> oh your your sickly condition <laughs> um of the on this article, um, they used a program or data collected off of a program called Disciples. Um, if any of you have been into a the Christian bookstore over the last year or two, uh, every time you check out, they want to they want to ask if you want to subscribe to this. So, um, I guess I found out what they use it for now. <laughs> but uh, anyways, the program was used by 231 churches and 14 organizations in the United States to track over 60,000 people who were either receiving Bible studies or attending public events. And then, like I said, it was from data from 2009 to 2016. Um, the first question that was posed is, are prophecy seminars still effective? Um, the first thing that was discovered was the public evangelism still thrives in North America. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm quoting uh, uh, Dr. Parker here. Uh, there were 354 prophecy events recorded, drawing 25,314 guests. Nearly half of these events had more than 100 registrations. Praise God. Church members made up of only 40% of the registrations, perhaps suggesting a declining interest inside the church. Um, Twelve larger multi-church meetings drew an additional 6,000 guests letting us know that there is obviously still a public interest in prophecy. I think, I don't know how there couldn't be a public interest in prophecy, and I'll tell you why. We are 
obviously living in the final days. I mean, when you look around, I think it's only going to get worse, but better for prophecy seminars when you look at the world that we are living in and it's, it's ramping up. And so people want tangible answers. And the only place you're going to find that right now is in the Bible. And so they, you know, like for instance, we, we talked about this on Facebook and I actually need to get back to Val. Um, Val actually said, she's like, I've been watching the news lately and I realized that I need to learn more about prophecy and learn what God said about what was going to happen in the last days. And I want to be prepared. And so that right there is the perfect example. People are looking for answers. They're looking for truth because everywhere they look, they know that they're not getting the truth from the media. They know that people are running to and fro around them. They're looking for hardcore truth because they don't know what to believe anymore. And so for people that have believed the Bible their entire life, but they've never dove very deeply into it, are now going to start coming out of the woodwork and say, okay, what does this really say? Absolutely. And and Gainesville, once again, like remember when we drove past, we, we were driving up to the grocery store and we saw that tent. Yes. Right across from the Kroger on Thompson Bridge on Road. On Thompson Bridge Road. And every single night, that guy drew more and more people. And it was like 90 degrees out. It was 90 degrees out, but people were still piling in to that tent and listening to him share the gospel. It's amazing. It still works. And like I said, you know, people think that that's for old people. I was 25 years old when I was brought into the Adventist church through a prophecy seminar. And because of what was given, the information that was given in that prophecy seminar and how it completely brought the Bible to life to me and it completely unwrapped it like a gift. Like it was given to me like a present and it just unwrapped it. Like you took the bow off and then you took the paper off and then you cut the, the tape open, you open up the box and next thing you know, the prophecy set, the, the seminar's over and it's like I have this whole new understanding of the Bible and pretty much how I've been lied to my entire life. But now I have the truth. Well, and, and the problem is, is that for, for some reason, we don't want to teach prophecy anymore. Um, whether it's because we've been inundated with it, um, you know, because I, I myself have been involved in, in a few different campaigns where they teach the same prophecy stuff, the 2300 days of Daniel and blah, 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 blah. And so whether it's we as Adventists have gotten burned out because of it or what, or I, you know, I don't know what the reason is, but prophecy validates the Bible. Yes. Through, through history. I mean, you can, you can cross reference history yes. to parallel with that prophecy to, to show that, look, these prophecies that have been stated in Daniel and Revelation match historically up historically are match accurate. up historically yes. with with things that have been written um and not only that not only is it historically accurate um when you learn what the bible actually means when they start talking prophetically it brings a whole new meaning to the bible to you like if you didn't know prophecy you can read the bible and still learn something 
but you're only going to get so far until you learn prophecy. It's not until you learn prophecy that you start learning what water means. Okay. Water means a multitude. All right. What you learn, what a beast means. Okay. When you learn what wine means, when you start learning all these things, now, when you go back and you read the Bible, it just, the Holy Spirit just starts bringing stuff out to you. Like, this is what this really means. Like the parable of what happened at the wedding, when you learn prophecy, becomes a whole new story to you. And it's not just Jesus turning water into wine at a wedding. Then you learn the, the new doctrine that comes out. And so it's, it just brings so much more meaning to the Bible. And for me, it made the Bible so much more interesting. As sad as that sounds, now it's like it, it becomes a key to start unlocking things for you. It's yes. a very important tool. Prophecy is so important. Absolutely. Um, back to do they work? Um, for, for instance, uh, quoting again Dr. Dr. Parker, in 1991, the Southern Union conducted research into the previous seven years of evangelistic meetings and found that 54% of non-Adventist attendees were under the age of 40. Uh, that was 1991. Uh, in 1995 and 96, the Net Global Satellite Evangelistic Meetings had an average age of 43. By 2000, it had slightly grown to 44, uh, and the results suggest that the age has continued to trend upward. Recent meetings show that only 34%, that's a 20% decline, uh, percent of attendees were under the age of 40. The longer the meetings ran, the older the crowd became, and with approximately 60% of the average audience over the age of 50 by night 16. That tells me right there is your your younger crowd, your millennials and, and even slightly older than that, just don't want to commit to a three, four, five-week series. Right. And that it's simply because... Life, life is busy nowadays. Well, look at, I would love to, to try and keep up with the podcast every single week, but there are some weeks it just can't happen. Life happens. My kids get sick. I obviously get sick. There's stuff that happens. You know what I mean? Stuff comes up. And we are now in a society where it's, it's status to be busy. This okay? is true. Let's be honest. It is status to be busy. The busier you are, the, the higher status you have according to society. And so if you notice, you've got parents that are throwing their kids into volleyball Monday night, football Tuesday night, you know, soccer Wednesday night. They've got their kids in 10 million different sports every single night. You've got, um, you know, you've got young people that are, they've constantly got plans every single night. They're going here, they're going there. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard for them to commit to something. Exactly. Because if nowadays, if you aren't busy, you don't know what to do. There, there's still... no such thing as leisure anymore. It's, no, it's, we need stimuli all the time. It's if, you, if you don't have something to do, then you're looking around to figure out what, what you need to do. Yeah, constant. And kids constantly need to be entertained. It's just... It's, it's the Netflix era. Yeah, it's a I, I want what different. I want when I want it. Yeah, and it's all about convenience. Yes. And I think that's what 
young people are looking for out of evangelism is I don't want to wait three weeks for this handbill that I found. I want to go on the internet, search it out myself, and hear it right away. Right. Well, look how big YouTube videos are right now. Kids love YouTube videos God. because... I waste more time than I want to admit We on binge watch YouTube videos. We binge watch them. We will sit there for hours. It's like you don't have the time to go to a prophecy seminar, but you've got three hours to waste watching YouTube videos. But that's just what it is. You can sit there in your pajamas with your popcorn or whatever else you're eating and just binge. People love to binge. Mm -hmm. And so if you can get the information out there where they can binge watch it, so be it, man. You know, you just got to pray that it works. Like, you don't want it to be information overload. But it's just something to think about. I'm not saying it's the right way. It's just these are things we need to think about. But, you know, binge watching is a real thing. It is. It, it is very popular. So what are we doing as a church to cater to that? It's funny because it, I know that's the Holy Spirit working because I had never even thought about that until we started this podcast and it just came to my mind and I know that that's not of me like praise God for that because it's just kind of like you know we binge watch things mm -hmm. that's our generation like when you look at people who are watching um, series television series right now they actually will not watch the series live because they cannot wait a whole week for the next episode to come out mm -hmm. they will binge watch an entire season over a weekend and that's something we need to think about. It is. You know, how often do we have a series where, you know, you, you go through, you do the module that night, and then you've got people coming up asking questions about what's up next. And then the speaker says, hold off. Why don't you let what you learned marinate for a little while mm -hmm. and then come back and then we'll. But you know what, though? And I get that. But well, but we're, we're, tr we're trying to control the audience of how quickly they learn. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's necessarily the right way of going about it anymore. See, the thing is, is that young people nowadays can take in a whole lot of information and retain it. Like, don't, don't, discredit, don't discredit millennials and don't discredit Generation X. They can take in a lot of information in a short amount of time and retain it. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it's just the way our minds have been programmed now. And so... It's, man, that's just, it's kind of just, I just, I'm just sitting here in awe right now. Like that really is something that, I've like there are times I'm sitting at work and I will binge listen to sermons because I'm just like, I can't wait for the next one. I can't wait for tomorrow. I will listen to, I've been listening to a certain, I'm not going to mention the individual because people are going to write me off, but I have been listening to a certain individual and I will listen to an entire series of his like 26 episodes in like a couple of days. I will just sit there at work and just plug them and just keep going and keep going and keep going. And then guess what? If I miss something, I can go back to the video and listen again. Mm -hmm. That's what's awesome about it. I can always go back and listen again. When you are sitting listening to someone live, you can't always do that. See, and here's, here's what the... The old school way would have been let's let's video no not even videotape it. <laughs> we get a a sermon series on DVD, and you can you can watch these discs. Well, DVDs don't work anymore. 
Well, and well, I mean, not that they don't literally work, but, but also when it's over, when it's all over. Well, by the time it's all over, guess what happens? You may buy the disc set, and then it just sits exactly in your cabinet at home, collecting dust. But if you can provide all of this information out on the internet at one touch of a button, at one touch of a button, or they can subscribe to your videos or your podcast. So as soon as you put a new episode up, they're right there. Exactly. And they get a notification. I think that we need to start a new company called Binge <laughs> Prophecy. <laughs> but it, it, it is very interesting. You know, is that how you reach the millennial and the Gen Xer crowd? Is, is, is offer that kind of an option? I think it's an avenue. We, I mean, like, I'm willing to do it. I'm a lay person. I'm willing to do it, obviously, for free. You know what I mean? Just to kind of see where it goes. But I really do think it could really pick up steam. I do. Because like I said, people can listen to it in their time. They don't Mm -hmm. have to wait for the next night. They don't have to worry about, okay, from 7 to 8.30, I'm locked in for the next two weeks at this location. Well, the interesting thing is is that if you just said the term podcast, I don't know, four years ago, I think the connotation that goes is well, nerd alert. Well, I mean, look, look what we're doing right now. But but seriously. No, nerd alert was today when we went to the eclipse. That was yeah, nerd alert. Yes. And I will proudly say I am a science nerd. <laughs> um, but anyways, um, the amount of people that listen to podcasts is actually more than you think. Yes. I mean, we've had, you know, we only have, this will be the 13th episode over a period of a few months, we've had 13,000 people downloading this this program. Praise Jesus. And from all over the world. Yep. So people look for information. They are. And they are, if you do not think people are actively seeking right now, I would like to know what rock you are hiding under. Seriously. Well, And, and there is a podcast for everybody. Yes. You know... If you're a conspiracy theorist, there's believe podcasts. me, there, there's plenty out there. If you're a mechanic. If you're a, a mechanic, mechanic. Exactly. If, if you are a sports person. Mike Rowe has a podcast where he just talks about stories of people that have interesting life stories. I love Mike Rowe. <laughs> I would love to podcast with that guy someday. That would be cool. That would be cool. Yeah. Um, fantasy football. Yes. They have their own podcast. So, yeah. I mean... Why not prophecy? Why not? I mean, if you are currently like you currently are doing a podcast yourself and you're doing Bible prophecy, please let us know. Please, if you are out there and you are listening right now and you are doing a prophecy seminar via podcast, Josh, give them give them the information. Project Risecast at gmail.com. I, I want to know statistics. I want to know how it's going. I want to know, you know, how many listeners do you have? How many downloads do you have? How well, is like how long you've been doing it? Where do you get your um your information from? Are you using amazing facts? Are you what are you using? The the interesting thing about podcasting is that it's available all throughout the world. Mm-hmm. So countries that don't necessarily have the ability to get Bibles and stuff like that. I mean, we have people downloading stuff from from Russia. Yeah. 
from from Pakistan, mm-hmm. from all over. We don't have China yet, do we? Uh, I haven't seen that. I'd be surprised because they're internet, they lock like, down their they their lock internet. down yeah. But it it allows an avenue. the The one thing that I I remember reading about was that Bibles are, I mean, they're they're kind of clunky. I mean, to to give someone a Bible, but you can put a whole Bible, sermons, um, <laughs> you could put a whole prophecy seminar on a little MP3 player mm-hmm. and give it to somebody, mm-hmm. and that's the new way of trying to penetrate into these these countries. I'm, that I'm not even going to say an MP3 player. Like, couldn't you just like pass out your barcode and just have people scan it, and they could. Or not your barcode, but you know the. Well, the the thing being is that if they don't have an internet connection, right. you give them an MP3 player yes. or some media player. Good point. Um. But anyways, I'm sorry. We like we've we've gone. I apologize. Really, we've gone really off off track here. Well, not I, off track, but. I blame my virus brain. Right now. <laughs> but um, going through some of those numbers, uh, Dr. Parker says clearly we can no longer rely on traditional meetings to effectively reach the 18 to 15 age group. An older audience is also presents its own challenges. When people are older, they find it more difficult to change denominations or make lifestyle changes. This means that it is taking longer for people to make decisions and join the church. In fact, our research suggests that most baptisms occur a year or more after the meetings are concluded. Uh, that's that's just something that we have to deal with. Right. You know, it, it is. when you When you have been told to think a certain way, specifically a a denomination Uh, even if for some reason i let's say that i transferred over to a baptist church my adventist upbringing is going to be very hard to break right and so we have to expect the same thing that we expect from ourselves Mm -hmm. Um, we're creatures of habit we are creatures of habit exactly Mm -hmm. and you know when it says clearly we can no longer rely on traditional meetings to effectively reach the 18 to 50 age group I would love to see what this looks like under a different set of scenarios. And I'm going to get into, I suppose I can get into this right now. If not, you're going to. As a young adult Sabbath school teacher, I can tell you that a majority, if not all of the people that have sat in my Sabbath school class are not brushed up in prophecy. Okay. A lot of the young adults that are attending my class attend because mom and dad attend the church okay from what i have been finding in a lot of cases these kids do have not been i be careful high phrases a lot of these kids haven't seemed to have been able to find jesus for themselves and to build their own relationship okay i also worry that a lot of these kids do not understand bible prophecy a lot of them have never even been to a bible prophecy seminar or at least had things explained to them at home, okay? I'm not sure what's going on, but there seems to be a disconnect with our young people 
and what the Bible actually says, okay? We have a young people right now that like to do the K-love, ooh, they picked one Bible verse and it applies to what's going on with me today. And so it's kind of like cherry picking certain Bible verses instead of putting the whole Bible together in context and figuring out what it actually says, learning Bible prophecy and deciphering what certain parts of the Bible actually mean. Okay, so as a Sabbath school teacher, it's a concern to me that our young people do not understand prophecy. Okay, that is the foundation of the Seventh-day Adventist church. That is the foundation. Okay, that is the one thing that our church has over every other church that I ever been in is that the Adventist church could tell me what the Bible said and why it said that. And they took everything from the Bible. It was not one person, what they said and what this person said. It was the Bible says this. So says the Bible. Okay. So when I look at our young people, it's concerning to me that they're not grounded in truth. Okay. So if we, if our young people Like I can think of an individual right now that we were having a conversation and he was like, prophecy says that. And I'm like, and I think he's a pretty well-versed person of the Bible. But the thing is, is that he's well-versed on verses, but he's not well-versed in prophecy. And so he can only go so far. So when I look at if our young people are not well-versed in prophecy, they don't understand prophecy, they're not on fire for what the Bible actually says, how can they go out and tell their friends and bring their friends to church? Because they're not even sure what they believe and why they believe it. Mm -hmm. And so really what I want to do is I want to go around with a survey to our churches and just ask people one simple question. Why do you keep the Sabbath? Why do you keep the Sabbath? Do you keep it because of tradition? Do you keep it because the Bible says to keep it? Because it's the fourth commandment? Or do you keep it because you know that it's a covenant between you and God that that says, I believe that he is creator and that he set apart this day and that when I acknowledge that day and when I keep that day, it signifies that I know who my creator is. I'm not following man, I am following God. Because I wonder how many people in our church would actually reply that way. And that's really sad, but that's a question I have. And, you know, and the the conclusion here on, on Dr. Parker's comments here, that we can no longer rely on traditional meetings to effectively reach the 18 to 50-year-olds. Is that an excuse to throw the baby out with the bathwater? Yeah. I mean, I think I think a lot of people. And the other thing is, is that as we look around and we look at social media and we look at what's going on in the world right now, people get offended very easily. And I think we're afraid of offending people. But you know what? What's more offensive than not telling people the truth? Absolutely. So you know what I mean. Like when I look at my friends and I think about how I have not. And I'm, I'm calling myself out on this and I'm putting myself, you know, I'm calling myself out. I had a dream of a friend 
on, on that day when Christ returns, look at me and say, why didn't you tell me? And that is enough for me to be like, you know what? If I am doing it because the Holy Spirit is leading me to share the truth the way that he tells me to share it and when to share it and how to share it and to be patient and to completely listen to him and be obedient, if I lose friends over it, but it planted a seed, that's what matters. I can't think about what's best for me. I have to think about what's best for Jesus. Absolutely. Now, going on into this little segment here is, is the reason why we are missing the mark on the 18 to 50-year-old crowd have to do with how we are advertising? Um, part of this study shows that members were the most important recruiting method. 43% of the people that came came because of a member. How did I come to a pop, to a prophecy seminar? Didn't you just randomly drive up and... I can tell you this much. If I would have received a postcard in the mail, I can tell you where it would have went. doesn't matter what it says on it. It's not a personal invitation. There is nothing like a personal invitation. Even if you have a mailer and you go door to door and you give it to the person, it's better than just allowing the postman to deliver your message for you. Okay. So I look at what kind of God do we serve? Is Jesus personal? Mm -hmm. Doesn't it say he comes to the door and he knocks? Well, the interesting thing is, okay, 43% became because a member recruited them. Direct mail was 29%, which still tells me that there is some importance. Now, we all know going through that you're only going to get five to six per thousand that you send out. So it is, it is a huge cost. Mm-hmm. And it may not be the most effective. The most effective, obviously, is going and knowing somebody and inviting them. Right. So, and then finally, uh, 19% became uh, came because of friends that went to the church. So, the, the members recruiting does not have to do with if you're a friend or not. It's that you have a personal relationship, whether it's somebody at work, a coworker, Mm -hmm. which is not always a friend. Right. Hopefully they're a friendly coworker. (laughs) Um, But still, face-to-face. Jesus. (laughs) Face-to-face contact is the way to go, according to this study. And I tend to agree with that. I've, I've gone through campaigns where we mailed out stuff and you you don't get that many people you get a response but you do it's get not response. the response that you're looking for now you also have to be willing to go with okay i've seen some mailers that have gone out over my my time in the church and some look like they came right out of ellen g white's seminars <laughs> they are completely dated you know you've got You've got pictures that look like they were taken a century ago. 
and I and I tell you, if I get that in the mail, I'm gonna go look at it and go, wow, they're not even trying. But I've also <laughs> seen mailers that have gone out specifically for prophecy that have graphic rich pictures. Mm-hmm. It looks interesting. That have an elaborate picture of this ten horned beast. And, and, and like, it, hmm. it does. It creates interest value. And I've heard people say, well, this this looked interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And that's why I came. Also, if you ask interesting questions, like something that's like, you know, I do want that question answered. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go. Absolutely. Don't be afraid of people asking tough questions. No. And don't be afraid of giving answers to a tough question. Or don't be afraid of even not even having the answer right now or saying, you know what? I'm going to put my pride aside and be like, I don't really have the answer to that right now, but I'm willing. I want to find out about that, too. Yeah. So let's let's find this out together. Or you use that as, okay, give me a night and come back tomorrow and I'll see what I have. Give me some some time. Exactly. So I can give you a. You keep them on the hook so that they keep coming, too. Right, right. Um, the role of television, radio, and newspaper was greatly diminished. Less than 2% responded to those. So, and those seem to be the most expensive. Yes. Those are the most expensive means of advertising, yes. and they seem to be the least effective. Yes. I'm going to be honest. Who pays attention to commercials anymore? Like, once again, it goes back to we are a Netflix generation, okay? We are a non-commercial generation. They actually have radio now that is commercial free. We don't like advertisements. They have YouTube now that is commercial free. Yes. Do you remember when YouTube used to be commercial free (laughs) for no cost? Yeah. Yeah, now you have to spend money to get YouTube red. Red, yeah. Yeah. But we don't like advertisements. We don't like commercials, except during the Super Bowl. The big game. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. But can you just? Can you just? (laughs) Well, we aren't using it for promotion, so we we can we can reference it. Um, (laughs) But that it's absolutely true. It is well. If advertising companies really understood how much advertisements annoyed the consumer, I mean, there are products out there that I won't use just because I was so annoyed with their advertising. What? No, no, no. (laughs) We're not name dropping. (laughs) There is a certain... uh, No, I'm not even... I'm going to take the high road on that. But, um, okay. So, people... Okay, quoting again Dr. Parker, (laughs) people were far more likely to continue attending an evangelistic series if they had been invited by a friend or member. Um, There was a 38 to 45% drop-off in attendance if they had been brought by a Bible worker or friend compared to a 60% drop-off if they came through a handbill. Now, okay, not everybody that you invite is going to stay. Right. There are some people that are going to go, uh, this just isn't for or me. Or they're going to be convicted on something and be afraid to come back. Absolutely. So, but having this assumption that just because <laughs> you have this flashy handbill and decided to mail it out rather than talk to a person personally, you're, 
you're discrediting that face-to-face contact. We have become such a anti-social, anti-establishment society that it, it, it has affected how we, we perceive the public wants to be marketed to. Now, if you think that you can just go invite someone via text message, that may work for some, but they, you know, you're not showing me personally that you are putting any, any interest in me being there. Even, even if a person is brought through a handbill, think of the difference that could be made. Let's say they do come through a handbill. And let's say by night one, maybe night two, maybe even night three, they meet a church member that they find out that they have something in common with. Or they just mesh well with a person that attends your church. If that person uh, continues to attend every night, that church member that they seem to really mesh well with, the chances of that person coming back are greater because they feel like I have a friend there or I have someone that I can relate relate to there. It's a sense of comfort. Mm-hmm. Okay, It becomes, I don't, almost like a security blanket. So we need to be really careful that if a member if someone that is attending the meetings becomes attached to a member, you need to make sure that that member tries to come every single night. Absolutely. It's pertinent. Well, like, and here's another important thing. Put somebody at the registration table please. that will remember names. Please. Um, please. <laughs> your greeters should be people yes. that can remember notch. names. This should be your cream of the crop. Absolutely. I, you know... God bless the people that want to do it. I mean, I understand that you can't have the the best of the best of the best. But at least have somebody that is there working with them that can remember names. Having that that visual memorization re- that you can easily recognize people helps people feel so welcomed. We can speak from experience. Absolutely. And that's that's why, you know, personally, Connie is very good. She's very good at, at remembering names. She will remember names of people that attended series years down the line. I still remember Mark when he came to our evangelistic series at Raymond. And he came in, like, in the parking lot on Sabbath, and he was, like, blaring, like, music. And people were like, what was he listening to? He was listening to Christian music. But I still remember him to this day. I'm not going to give his last name, but... I still remember him and he came with his little grandmother and they were Catholic and his grandmother stopped coming, but he kept coming for a little bit. This was what? Eight years ago? Uh, This was, no, this, this is the same prophecy seminar that I, no, this was the second one. So this was 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Yeah. But, but even still, you know, you remember those people. And it helps people feel like these people care. We retained a lot of those people from those prophecy seminars too. Like yes. they are still attending the Raymond Church. Yes. And it was because they they made friends and it was difficult to leave the new friends that they made. Yes. And that's where it, it takes a church to put on a prophecy seminar. Absolutely. And it takes people that are willing to take it seriously. Right. But it's it's a commitment and it's a little bit of a sacrifice. 
You know what I mean? Like it's you, you know, I I've done it before, especially on on the AV side. Um, you know, we we would go to a separate venue. We'd have to get there early, set up, uh, tear down, make sure everything fit back into all the boxes, and then pack up and leave. But I tell you, the camaraderie that you get within yeah. a group is second to none because pretty soon you're trying to beat everybody else there. Yeah. And, you know, you get better every night. I mean, set up by the, you know, midway through the, the whole. It's a breeze. It is a breeze. Mm-hmm. But you're there because you want to and you feel a sense of you need to be there. Yeah, it kind of becomes like, I don't even know how to describe it. And it's, it is, it's, you, you have a sense that you need to be there. There's a reason why you're there and that the team needs you. And, and that, that's, that's it. it. It's a team effort. Yeah. You just kind of hit your stride and then it just, it becomes exciting. Like, it's a whole ball of emotions. I just remember my my second evangelistic series because the first one, it was funny because the first one, remember I was doing registration, but I was still attending it. Yes. So I would do registration, and then as soon as then the they kick you out of the yeah, then they would kick table. me out and they would send me inside so I could listen to it. And it was right after that series that I was baptized. Um, and then he came back a year later and did another evangelistic series. And I just remember, like, it was the anticipation and the excitement, but also the dread of the very first night. But then every single night, you wanted to be there because you wanted to see, are there more people coming? Have we retained people? And you start, like, looking for people. Like, you look at the people who have checked in, and you're like, oh, so-and-so isn't here yet. You know, should I give them a call? Just ask, you know, are you okay? You know, is everything all right? We missed you tonight. You know what I mean? And that was something we would do. We would call people the very next day and be like, hey, we missed you last night. Follow-up is key. Yes, because people want you to care about them. I have to give a huge shout-out to the Atlanta North SCA Church. Oh, it was awesome. You know. <laughs> you guys are awesome. I, I've not been in many churches where, you know, whenever I go visit a church, I make a point to go sign the guest book because that's what it's there for. But to have an email sent back saying how much they appreciated us being there, here's what resources we have for you until the next time you come, to get a postcard in the mail. Yeah. You know, those are the details that people remember. Yes. And they're never going to remember the church that doesn't remember them. They'll remember the church that sent that postcard and followed up with the email. Mm-hmm. And and I think that we need to all strive for that. Yes. It, but it's the expression, it's not about what you said, and it's not even about what you did. It's about, it's the way you made them feel. Absolutely. Um, There's also <laughs> a, a back, back to the article here, one week reaping meetings. Um, In contrast to the traditional prophecy series were the one week reaping meetings led by Roger Hernandez of the Southern Union. He utilized shorter series that were not dependent on prophecy. In our database, we had several multi-church meetings held for either English-speaking, which were six events, or Spanish-speaking districts, which were seven events. Uh, Unlike the prophecy meetings, they did not use mailed flyers. The meetings were promoted to members for a year in advance. The Bible workers were brought in two to three months before 
the event began. Most of the guests, therefore, came through members or Bible workers. The results were encouraging because the 13 events managed to draw crowds of 1,500 English-speaking guests and nearly 5,000 Spanish-speaking guests. Unlike the prophecy meetings, there were more members than guests, about 60% members in, the, in attendance. A younger age group was present, although um, they didn't have any conclusive data for this, and there seemed to be a strong interest in the meetings from the members. Baptism results were impressive and significantly higher in, than in the prophecy meetings. Doctrines were introduced in terms of how they related to practical Christianity, and a baptism appeal was made every night. Uh, this seems uh, like a more relational approach. Uh, the down-to-earth preaching and the consistent appeals made it easier for people to make decisions for baptism. Uh, unfortunately, they uh, don't have any access to retention rates. Uh, however, this approach indicates that there is more than one way to engage in public evangelism. Um, it, it is it is very interesting. Um, I, I think that one thing, and it's usually not in a prophecy seminar, is a nightly appeal. Mm-hmm. Now, I've heard several evangelists uh, that I've met, you know, in my life that swear by it doesn't matter what's going on; they're making an appeal that night. Yeah, and sometimes it's that appeal that is the Kickstarter to. I, I need this. That's a call to action, and I need to do something about it. I like the nightly appeals. It's, um, it's, it's what they do outside of the U.S. That's very common. Now, there's also some evangelists that take the appeal to the nth degree. Oh, man. If I'm not getting any response, I'm going to keep everybody on the hook here until somebody does. Yeah, it gets uncomfortable. And then you've got people possibly making an appeal just to quiet Keep, down the speaker exactly yeah. um don't do that <laughs> Please. <laughs> but but I, I i am i am in favor of of the nightly appeal um mm-hmm. you know especially if if the holy spirit is truly moving someone you want to be able to give them that outlet yes uh you don't want to quench that fire by not having some sort of of a way that they can they can act on that or what if what if something happens and they can't come the final night and that's the only night you make an appeal? Absolutely. So, I mean, if someone is moved by the Holy Spirit to make a decision for Jesus, don't hold back on them. Mm-hmm. Please allow them to make a decision for Jesus. We all make decisions for Jesus at different times. So why are we forcing people to make a decision on one night? Absolutely. Now, this is an interesting, interesting module here of doing a week-long reaping meeting. I personally find this much easier to agree that I'm going to invest my time in as as a as a not as someone working at this, but as someone attending as an attendee than when all of a sudden I get a flyer or someone telling me that we're going to have a 6-week Bible prophecy seminar. You know, that's a long commitment. It, it, that is a long commitment. Yeah. So this, I think, is much more appealing, especially to that 18 to 15-year-old. It's more realistic for people. It's more realistic, yes. That 18 to 15 crowd, they're working every night. Or not every night, but they're working every day or, at, or going to college. Mm-hmm. So they don't have the time to invest in four to six weeks. Mm-hmm. Not saying that if they become a member through one of these that they are not going to go there 
uh, you know, on the next seminar that they attend. Mm-hmm. But for the initial get them in the door, this this I think has some have appeal to it. Mm-hmm. You just have to watch out that we're not watering down the gospel message, right? Because um, then if we're watering down messages, then we become no better than every other church. Here's the thing is that, once again, I I understand that some people can't always do prophecy. Sometimes it's a little bit too much for people. But the thing is, is that we can still give people the truth through prophecy. We just, we don't change the message. We change the way, we make it relatable for whoever is coming, Okay. We adjust things and, and we tweak things to fit the crowd that is coming, but we don't change the message. That's important. I look at Jesus. Jesus didn't change his message. He just tweaked it com- to who he was speaking to. Yes. Yes. You have to make things relatable. Right. Knowing your audience is is a must. I mean, that's... That's marketing 101. Right. And I'm interested to see what, I mean, like, obviously we can't make any any decisions on this just yet, just because we don't have the retention rate is what I, what I want to know. I want to know, because here's the thing, is that one of the things that has kept me in the Adventist church is, is the stuff that I learned through that prophecy seminar. Mm-hmm. It grounded me so, it gave me such a firm foundation because it was tangible, yes. okay? It was like, I'm a numbers person, okay? And I'm a historical person. I like historical facts. I, I like to be able to make what happened in the Bible tangible and how how it relates to what was going on in the rest of the world at that time. So when you give me this just hardcore proof to me. It was hardcore proof. It was something that I can't deny. And that is something you will hear out of Adventists that leave the church and come back and they say, you know what? I can't deny it anymore. That was truth that was given to me when I was younger. It was a seed that was planted and I can't deny it anymore. There's something to be said about the message that this church has. That at one point in your life, if you aren't convicted now, one day the Holy Spirit will use it to convict you. Absolutely. And, you know, I personally have been involved in these one-week reaping meetings before. Uh, Compassion 100K, that's what it was. It was a year in advance moving towards a week-long reaping meeting. And while in the our local church we got one baptism out of it, mm-hmm. but across the entire union— we had over 800 decisions for Christ. Right. So I can't, you know, it does get results, but like you said, what are the long-term results? Are we creating uh, well-rooted people in the faith, or are they just going to go through, get baptized, and then fall through the cracks? You can't just say a tree is a tree. You want oak trees, not pine trees. You want oak trees. We're in Georgia that we're full of pine trees. I'm sorry, but you want, there's there's oak trees too. You want oak trees. <laughs> oak trees have deep roots. Absolutely. Okay? They stand in storms. All right. They plant little acorns. Okay. We want oak trees, not pine trees. It's a little visual for you. That's I'm an a visual. Person. visual. 
Um, let's see uh, health events. Um, this is something that's also very popular in the Adventist mm-hmm. church. Uh, health events. Okay. There was 88 health events in the database with an average of 60 registrations per event. If you can get 60 people to come to a health event, hallelujah. <laughs> Man, I was... <laughs> It's like, I don't think I've ever been to one where we had 60 registrations. Praise the Lord. But any, anyways, health events, therefore, appear to be smaller in number than prophecy meetings, which I, I would agree with, uh, but will likely reach a different audience, yes. which I also agree with. Yes. Um, one example of this is the low transfer rate between health events and evangelistic meetings. Uh, how often do you have something where you try to, I mean, you try to cross market. What they're saying is, is that you're not really going to get all of your health fair attendees to come to your evangelistic series mm-hmm. because th- there's there's two different trains of thought of what they're looking for. They're not looking for prophecy. They're looking for health-related stuff. Right. So those churches that had consistent health events, such as monthly dinner clubs, we're more likely to see transfers and eventual baptisms. Do you know why that is? Because they're making friends. They're making friends. It's friendship evangelism. I can guarantee that's why that's happening. Absolutely. Because they made a friend and it's very like, for instance, if you ever ever walked into an Adventist church and you're new to the area, if you walked in, you're an Adventist, you walk into an Adventist church and no one greets you and no one makes even the slightest move towards you to get to know you are you gonna come back to that church no 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 i've been there go to where yeah exactly you're gonna go to where you feel welcome where you feel like people actually notice that you were a new person that's where you're gonna go especially if you met someone you found out you've got kids the same age you found out you like biking you found out you like working out on thursday nights whatever if you find you have something in common with someone that's a tie that binds you. Yes. And that's also why it is very important on your greeting staff. Th- those are your, if, if you relate it to a business world, your salesmen. Yes. Those are the people. You want them to do more than just hand out a bulletin. Yes, please. You Greet them. Be friendly to them. Open the door for o- them. Open the door for them. Make it look like they're welcome. Our greeters at Raymond, were you going to talk about that? No. Oh, you held your hand up. Oh, I was. Oh, okay. Just real quick. Our greeters at Raymond, they didn't just stand at the door. They stood outside, even in the winter. I'm talking about Wisconsin winter. I'm talking about when there's a negative 20 wind chill. They were still at the door waiting to make sure that you needed help you know, walking into the church, they would, if you would pull up to the door, they'd open your car door for you. They would help a lady out of the car. They would, you know, greet you as you were walking up to the church, open up the door for you. It was like major decent, you know what I mean? Like when you go to a fancy restaurant and there's valet parking, that's exactly what, and you- Oh, we offered basically free valet. Yeah, it was like you felt special. Like you felt like that church was really putting their best foot forward and every single greeter did that. There was not a greeter that didn't do that. And if you didn't do it, you were schooled. (laughs) 
Yes. Even our young, you know, there, there's a, a, a young guy that was one of our deacons. Even he was doing it. And I, I never would have expected this person to do it, but even he was. Absolutely. And that goes into someone took the bull by the horns and trained him. Yep. This is what we're going to do. This is how we, we are going to be appealing and how we, how we can make friends with, with our guests. Everything you do, do to the glory of the Lord. Absolutely. Everything. Absolutely. And take it to the nth degree. Yes. If, how, if, did, how did Kurt Allen put it? And then some. And then some. Give people and then some. Yep. Or all that in a bag of chips. Yep. For free. <laughs> but seriously, you know, a ministry isn't worth doing unless you're going to do it right. That's right. That's right. And you and and believe me, you'll actually find out that you have fun doing it. Oh, absolutely. When you see the, the smiles on people's faces, you see people coming back, you see how it just brings joy to people's life. It brings joy to your life then. Absolutely. It's rewarding. You know, shake things up every now and again. Yep. Because if you're not having fun, people are going to notice it. Oh, people will notice it. And the ministry will suffer. Yep. Um, back, to, back to health events. Sorry. Um, a number of supper clubs, which uh, is a, a dinner with the doctor events... That's interesting. Or or dinner with the doctor events. So I, I've I've been not directly, but I know that those work because I, I'm in a line of work. Well, we we mm-hmm. are in a line of work where uh, we do work for orthodontists, and so being on the marketing side, I know that those those dinners with doctors, having a a, a doctor as a speaker, draw crowds, mm-hmm. and and in essence, can be good for you. Right. Some they don't some they don't turn out anything, but they they do work. But anyways, a number of supper clubs have seen 12 baptisms or more over a five-year period, but only when in evangelistic meetings were also held at the same time period. That's interesting. Well, slow to baptize because, like I said before, if you're attending a health event, that doesn't necessarily mean that you are apt for receiving spiritual health. Right. You're there for physical health. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, you can't expect to, okay, we have 60 fresh faces that came to our health fair. Oh, man, this means our church is going to boom. No, it doesn't. No. But you have to be able to make sure to make friends with them so that when you have a prophecy seminar, they're more apt to go, you know what? They were pretty friendly when I was there for, for the health fair. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a try. I'll tell you what, you guys did it right because not only did I attend the prophecy seminar, you guys got me involved in it. Like I was doing registration. So I had to be there every night. We were really shorthanded and so we just <laughs> had guests. But seriously. No, it's, it's true. And it held me accountable. I had to be there every single night. And I, you know, I was surprised. I was like, I'm not a member of this church, but they invited me to help out with their prophecy seminar. That is is where churches fail the most. Yes. Is you, you get this new recruit in and you don't put them to work. Either they give too much to them once they become a baptized member or they don't recruit them enough before they do. Exactly. It's one or the other. It's never a happy medium. 
Exactly. You get a friend that comes by when you when you're building something, give them a shovel. Why? Cuz that keeps them there. Yep. Um Here's something on on this too. <laughs> of the health fair, a majority of the participants were older than 50. You're not going to draw young crowds. If you're going to go looking for young crowds, you've got to meet them where they are. And that's generally not at a church. Right. Um, there was a remarkable gender gap when it comes to health. 69% of attendees were female compared to only 31% of male attendants. For cooking schools, the number of females attending rose to 78%. Men appear to be less concerned with health education unless they're having a health crisis. Oh, that's that's very true. Men won't even go to the doctor unless they notice symptoms, something's wrong. It's true. And, and so because of that, you, you have to know your audience. Mm-hmm. If your audience isn't going to be men, you're probably not going to draw them in. Right. So market to the females <laughs> on that one. Um, specifically, wives. Right. Because the wives will bring it home to, to the husbands. Mm-hmm. It's true. But the husband's not going to go out there going, well, look at this health health hey, seminar. Honey, let's, let's go. Let's, let's go. Exactly. Because it's not what they're interested in. And I can speak from myself. It's not something that would generally interest me. I'll tell you this. Like reading this and it says that they normally don't want to come for the, the prophecy seminar, but they'll come for the health part. When we did the literature evangelism in Atlanta, in January. This is like the perfect scenario for this. We go to five points where there's like a, a ton of homeless people and people that are marginalized. They wanted Bibles. They wanted Ellen White books. Okay. They wanted Steps to Christ. They wanted the Great Controversy. They wanted all the books that we had that had anything to do with biblical truth in Jesus, okay? The only people that didn't want what we had were the Hebrew Israelites that were standing across the street swearing and yelling at us. Those were the only ones there that didn't want what we had. We had people coming up and taking boxes of books from us and just, they were like, what do you have? We've got these books. Can I have some? You know, we'd be like, okay, which ones do you want? Can I have them all? Absolutely. Because what else did they don't have anything else to do with their time? They're sitting on the streets and they're looking for something that is once again, tangible. Okay. They're looking for hope. They're looking for anything that can take their mind. They, they're looking for hope, something that can take their mind off of the present situation that they're in. And they're looking for something that could possibly take them out of the situation that they're in. Okay. Then we go over to Midtown. You can't hand out a book to save your life. But I can tell you what, all these people cared about organic food. All these people cared about fitness. They cared about their bodies because guess what? It's a status thing, okay? How much you're going to the gym, what kind of foods you're eating. They're coming in and out of Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, whatever. They're the healthiest people according to what they put in their bodies that you'd ever meet. They're talking about vegan. They're talking about vegetarian. Some of them know more about vegan and vegetarian than some Adventists that I know. Okay. That is how you reach them. 
is some portion of the health message because they're looking for more information on health. So there is a purpose to it. Now, the question is, how do we now transition once they are 100% involved into the, the health ministry, then transition them into, okay, well, the Bible says the reason we follow this is because the Bible says this. That's the question. How do we bridge that gap? And the, the crux of it, and I think you hit it on the head here, just didn't realize it, is there's no one way to advertise. There's no one way to promote your seminar. You have to know your audience. You have to. So if you're planning on doing a prophecy seminar and expecting to invite all of Midtown, you're probably not going to get the results that you're looking for. And the, the, the thing being is that you can't, if that's the, what you did and didn't realize it, you can't stop. Mm-hmm. Don't give up. You regroup, you think about going forward and make a smart decision of, okay, how do we market this in the future? What didn't work? Why didn't it work? And don't be afraid to admit that it didn't work. Right. Because that's how you learn. Exactly. Failure isn't getting it wrong. You know, like failure is when you give up and you stop trying. That is failure. Absolutely. We all know that the message is important. Yes. It's just how we can get it out there. We have to be, we have to think smarter. Right. Because you know what? The enemy knows he's, he's not dumb. No. He knows exactly what move you're going to try to make. Yep. Um, Bible studies. Women appeared more interested in Bible studies than men. We found that out too. 61% of women signed up for Bible studies compared to 39% of men. By the seventh visit, Bible study visit, men accounted for only 31% of studies. However, we found that men were more likely to agree to an in-home Bible study, whereas women seem to prefer drop-off studies. Makes sense. That does make sense. Scary, scary world out there. Yes. We suspect that this is because women are more cautious to strangers entering their home. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So don't expect to go to someone's front door and be invited into their house. The only time I've ever seen that work is um, when I was working with a Bible worker that came for us last year. And if it's two women coming to a woman's door, they're more likely, they're more likely to allow you in. Sure. Because it's less of a threat. Yes, Absolutely. And they actually look at it as like, like the woman that we went to go visit, she didn't want to let us go because she was just so hungry for visitors. It was like coffee talk for her. <laughs> Sometimes that's, that's what you need. Hmm? Praying for company and then all of a sudden <laughs> the Adventists come to your door. Um, one factor that may have influenced this gender gap is a significant number of our 12,000 Bible study interests were generated by evangelism training schools. Since these schools do a lot of door-to-door -door work, and since more women um, than men are at home, this may have skewed the results. Um, the database showed a significant number of Bible studies that were from the result of door surveys. Uh, 
The results of the door-to-door outreach were encouraging. In the database, more than 60% of all Bible study interests were generated through surveys and literature evangelists. Um, yeah, for those that think literature evangelism doesn't work, are only fooling themselves. Yeah, it... Uh, it may not be easy to encourage our members to knock on doors, but the study shows that we can still generate new spiritual interest that way. Do you know why that is? They can put a face with the church. Yeah. That's that's the, the face-to-face contact that is more trustworthy than just receiving some random thing in the mail. So please be engaging and kind, please. Yes. <laughs> if they slam the door on you, smile and walk away. Yep. Bless and release. Um, oh, going back to, um, can I just add this real quick? Going back to the whole health thing. I would love, you know, I know a lot of young people do CrossFit and are working out right now. I look at my Instagram feed and my, my Facebook. A lot of young people are running marathons right now, half marathon. They're really big into running. They're really big into working out, CrossFit. So my question is, is that a market? And how can we enter that market? How can we get in there and, you know, like engage these young people so that they can learn? It's not just like, for instance, a lot of these young people think, okay, I'm working out, I'm building muscle, I have to eat protein, 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 so they're eating meat, okay? But I know a young man that started doing research and found out how he can actually build more muscle, become more lean, lose all of his, you know, lose as much fat as possible, but actually build more muscle by by being a vegan. And so how can we take this health message immersed with biblical truth and take it to these young people in places like a CrossFit. I want to know that. I really do. Because I look at CrossFit and that parking lot is packed on Saturdays. And on January 2nd. <laughs> <laughs> um, moving forward. Uh, further good news is that two-thirds of those who expressed an interest in Bible studies as the result of a survey can be converted into a Bible study uh, on a follow-up visit. However, there is a downside to this approach. If we rely too much on stranger evangelism, as many organizations and churches in this study did, uh, we also reduce our effectiveness. Surveys' interests tend to fall away fairly quickly and more likely to want studies dropped off at their doors. In contrast, studies generated by a friend or family member were much more likely to agree to an in-home Bible study. These relationally generated studies had a retention rate nearly double that of survey interests. Additionally, if the study came through a friend or a family member, the person was also much more likely to decide to keep the Sabbath and be baptized. Praise God. Um, Another example of stranger evangelism was blanketing a zip code with cards, inviting people to receive Bible study lessons. Uh, There was generally a response rate of five to eight returns per thousand mailed. 
That's about what we averaged. That's about what we were averaged. Yep. And let me tell you, it's expensive. It is. You know, and you we have look to really at postage. And... Ex- exactly. I'm not saying that it doesn't work, but when you look at what you could do going door to door, if you have people willing to do it, mm-hmm. of course, um, you know, there's probably more effective ways to do it. However, if your church is not one that's willing to do it, you may end up having more more results with the five to eight per thousand mail. The good news is is that uh, in, in regards to studies, once you're able to get into the home, interest have an excellent re- uh, retention rate. Um, immediate interest is more likely to accept an in-home Bible study as well. Um, so media ministries, which we've, we've talked about, mm-hmm. uh, can be very effective. And, you know, I, I think are probably the wave of the future. You're not going to get many people just randomly showing up at your church. You'll get random people showing up at your church website. Mm-hmm. So what can you do as a church to make sure that you give them what they're looking for? Right. Uh, so the bottom line, according to Dr. Parker, we need to encourage a more relational or network evangelism in our churches. We need to befriend people. We need to be friendly and not be afraid to invite them to church. That's that's the crux. That's that's it. Um, and not just invite them to church, but engage them, not just in chess and checkers outside of church, but find ways to open up discussion and conversation with them. I know it's scary, and I know they're going to ask hard questions. But that's part of the Christian walk. Absolutely. You may not be able to answer at that time. That's but okay. You, but you will remember that question for the next time someone asks. And it. I'll tell you what. You want to talk about something that affirms your faith? Try being backed into a corner onto why you believe what you believe. And you will suddenly learn, why do I believe what I believe? Absolutely. So Dr. Parker's uh, conclusion here, does evangelism still work? Um he has found that public evangelism is still successful, even in the United States. So don't let anyone tell you, no, we're not going to try and do this because it's not going to work. No, public evangelism still works. Yes. You just have to be able to put an effort into it. Um, however, we also realize that we need to introduce new strategies if we are to reach a younger age group while taking a longer-term approach uh, to older attendees. We saw that women showed a much greater interest in health and spirituality, uh, but we obviously need to find ways to reach a broader demographic. We discovered that the process by which people become Seventh-day Adventists takes much longer than we originally anticipated, especially for health interests. However, the most important finding was the need to build relationships with evangelistic interests. While we saw, or we saw that while door-to-door work and stranger evangelism is effective in generating Bible study interest, friendship evangelism is far more effective in gaining decisions and retaining them. I mean, it it makes sense. Oh, it makes perfect sense. It's like what I said before: if you attend a church and not one person even makes an effort to get to know you, are you gonna come back to that church? No. No. So think about it that way. Think about it as if you had a person that walked into your life but never asked you what was your name, 
what do you like to do? If they just wanted to talk about themselves and what they were good at and all the truth that they had, but never really wanted to engage you in conversation, would you really want to be their friend? No. No. So just think about that. Think about what kind of friend you would want in your life and then be that friend. Absolutely. Well, I think that's going to wrap up another uh, another podcast for us. I'm sorry it was so long, but evangelism is important. Absolutely. It's my passion, so I get uh, a little... It should be everybody's passion. Amen. But uh, we, we, we're, uh, we're going to buckle down. We've got some ideas of what we can do for future podcasts, so stay tuned. Um, for those of you in the Gainesville area, we are going to be having uh, the phenomenal evangelist Richie Halverson coming Yay! on September 16th uh, for modules at 9.30, uh, sermon at 11.30, 11.15, and uh, one after church, uh, basically on how to evangelize your church. Give an evangelistic, evangelistic mindset to your church. So, September 16th. September 16th. Mark your calendars. Mark your calendars. But until then, this is Josh and Connie for a, another episode, episode 13 of Project RiseCast. And uh, hopefully we won't be too long with the next one. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening.